Can't relate to cancel culture, hookup culture, or victim culture? (laughs) Well, neither could we. We created this platform for those other girls. Girls like us who want to give a different perspective from a Christian and conservative worldview. We talk about life, work, relationships, and everything in between. Let's be those other girls that don't just talk about culture, but change culture and bring back traditional values. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Those Other Girls with Mallory and Friends. I'm Mallory. I'm Caroline. And we are Those Other Girls, changing culture and bringing back traditional values. Okay, so today starts um, the very first uh, episode of Mallory and Friends. And today I have a really good friend of mine, Caroline, and she and I are both cabinet members with Future Female Leaders, which is an amazing amazing brand that also they sell t-shirts and um they sell stickers if you have seen my laptop like on my personal page or even on those other girls page you will see it filled with stickers and like i'll say a good 80 percent are from (laughs) future female leaders um and they also have blogs and caroline is like every other blog post is by caroline she is an amazing writer, and she's always on top of it. Um, but anyway, so Caroline, can you give us, tell us a little bit about yourself really quick and like why I asked you to come on? Yeah, so I've been working in North Carolina politics um, for about four years now, and I've also been a part of Future Female Leaders for about five years. And so we actually met through the cabinet program. I've been doing the cabinet program four or five years, and it's been so much fun writing. I've designed shirts. I've gone to conferences with FFL is what I will refer to them as from here on out. Um, And so we have this cool mentor-mentee program, and I got to request my mentee. And well, I requested to have oh. and so I they knew I would pair up really well with you, and I, you know, you do get to recommend which one you get, and so I was really happy to be paired up with you. I knew we had so much in common. Our passion for pro life politics and advocacy is like mm-hmm. so mm-hmm, cool, mm-hmm. and that's where we really connect. I mean, I'm probably like such a stalker to you because every time you do something, <laughs> I'm like, yes, liked it, loved it, commenting. So it's like, the best thing about FFL is the camaraderie. Like we are just all best friends and we're just like, we just hype each other up. Yeah. I love that they put us together. That was a really, 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 really good match. They always put me with someone from North Carolina because I think they know how obsessed with the state of North Carolina. I really am. And <laughs> someone who knows that and doesn't find it weird. And also someone I'm physically able to go meet because that's just kind of the person I am. I love FFL, yeah. but like, once I got you, like we're, I'm a ride or die for somebody. I'm a loyalty. It might, I might be loyal to a fault, but. Oh, love it. Love it. Okay. So we are really excited for this episode. Um, if you are also too, I just recently, well, the podcast just recently got a lot more um, subscribers and a lot more people following us on Instagram and things like that. So thank you guys so much. Um, And if you are tuning in for the first time, we talk about life relationships and everything in between from a Christian conservative perspective. So today we are talking about this new documentary. Well, I mean, 
we're talking about the documentary as well as like every other aspect. Um, the new documentary on Netflix is called American Murder, The Family Next Door, The Chris Watts and Shanann Story. I want to just refer to it as the Shanann Story, but then nobody, Shanann Watts Story, but like nobody really knows. I mean, people know, but like when you say Chris Watts, everybody's like, oh, Chris Watts. So I'm just called the Shanann Story for right now. Anyway. That, that that's how it's looked at is we always know the murderer's name but we never know the family's name so yeah it's definitely the Shanann story it's the tragedy of Shanann Bella Celeste and Nico really yes oh that you know that's a good title for this episode too oh. um <laughs> no seriously like I want to I, I want to talk more about well we have to talk about Chris Watts because he's he the did the murder mm-hmm. yeah he's a monster um but I do want to try to focus on Shanann and Celeste and Bella and Nico. Um, so anyway, so that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to like really get into it. Um, we have never done a true crime episode uh, so far um, on those other girls. So I really hope you guys like it. Uh, and of course, we're going to turn it all back to politics and Jesus. That's just, <laughs> that's just what we do here. Okay. Caroline, can you give us a recap of the entire story? Of course. And if you've watched, the documentary, it lays it out really, really well. The editing is really well done. We're, you're getting an inside look at the text. I don't think they focused as much on the affair as they probably could have, or like, I hate to say the politics of the affair, but that's ultimately what it comes down to. But it was an excellent, excellent documentary. But for those who don't know, this all started on August 13th in 2018. And this is when Shanann, Bella, Celeste, and unborn baby Nico were noticed missing. So Shanann had gotten home the night before um, at about 1.48 a.m. And this is the same day that, so she arrived home from a business trip that she was at in Arizona. And this will be the day that she is presumed missing. Her friend, Nicole Atkinson, who was actually on the trip with her, um, noticed that she couldn't reach Shanann the following morning just because I don't, they're always in constant contact. Shanann was always on social media. Um, And she noticed that social media was silent and Shanann was silent, which was just very unlike her, especially because Nicole knew that Shanann was going to be having a talk with Christopher about some things she had found out over the weekend, like a bill where he was going out to eat with his girlfriend, but she didn't know it was a girlfriend at the time, but Shanann had sneaking suspicions. Um, She couldn't reach Shanann, so she got really nervous. So she called the OBGYN that she knew Shanann had an appointment at that day and was like, did she come? Did she show up? And they were like, no, I'm assuming they told her without breaking like a HIPAA law because that's kind of, you know, yeah. Oh, you know, but (laughs) so then she was texting Christopher the whole time too. Like, where is Shanann? And he was like, Oh, they're at a play date. Not realizing that Nicole obviously knew that she had an OBGYN appointment. And so then Nicole was like, okay, I'm showing up at Shanann's house. I'm heading there. So she went and she tried to look in everything and she actually ended up looking in the garage and she could see Shanann's car with the car seats. And that that's just not Shanann. She would never go anywhere without the car seats. So mm-hmm. she notified the police um, and then Chris, Chris was notified and Chris eventually came home. Um, so once the police go in, they're doing their thing and You've seen the documentary, so I want I want to see if you picked up on the same things as me. Um, like, so when the cops went in and they were investigating, there was one cop, and there were actually a couple people. 
one of the first things that we notice when they go upstairs is that there's absolutely no bedding on the bed. Oh, I don't think I picked up on that, but I'm sure. Yeah. Like I love to hear this stuff. I'm not going to lie. I, like I probably should not be a detective, um, but. <laughs> I want to criminal justice major. That does not make me an expert, but I am suspicious of everyone and everything. No, that's good though. Yeah, so really that's really interesting. And I know, yeah, the police definitely like they hopped on that. I'm sure. Oh, they've. Definitely eventually found out, especially, well, we'll, never mind. We'll get to where the bedding was. Um, So, and then also we see this really interesting moment where Chris Watts is with uh, his neighbors uh, watching these videos of outside of the driveway. And I noticed that he was just kind of standing there looking at his phone. I know for me, it's a little suspicious just because if I was watching my husband's disappearance and seeing you know, who was coming, the comings and goings of my home, I would be like, oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. That's definitely me. I had to go to work. Like, oh, that's just so crazy. Can, can we fast forward to see something? I'd be else? glued to the TV. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. And, you know, pacing and like, you could tell the nerves were getting, mm-hmm. like he didn't want to point out anything that he didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting that his neighbor also said he's not acting right. Yeah, his neighbor noted. Yeah, and his neighbor, I think it was, I don't know if it was the wife or the husband, went back home and was like, okay, he did something. He knows something. He did something. Yeah, it was that guy. It was, it was so crazy that these neighbors were able to just like intuitively pick that up and be like, no, this isn't like, there is something going on here. I thought that was really awesome. And those neighbors are amazing for really looking out for Shanann and the girls. Um, I also thought it was interesting that when, Chris Watts was giving interviews on his front porch. He was like never asking like somebody to bring the girls back. He was just always like, I want the girls yeah. not being like, come home. You need to be home. Just oh, I, I miss them being here. I wish they were home. Like, yeah. yeah, bring them home. Be angry. People have your wife and kids and your your pregnant wife, much less. Yeah. And you know, I remember watching that part in like real life, because that this was fairly recent compared to like, you know, Lacey Peterson and all of them. And I remember watching that on the news and um with my mom and I remember saying, oh, he did it. Like that interview, I hate seeing it because I'm like, he just looks so guilty. And so I was like, he definitely did it. No doubt in my mind. Well, and it's also crazy because as for as a North Carolinian perspective, it was pretty obvious right off the bat that Chris Watts and Shanann Watts were from North Carolina. So we, we automatically were, we had, yeah. we had a dog in the fight. And yeah, for he, sure. And then he was wearing a UNC Chapel Hill shirt on these interviews. And I'm like, you couldn't have dressed up. You couldn't have. <laughs> right. I don't even like UNC Chapel Hill. I'm a writer or die Duke fan, but like, don't put you so in my black family. Like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Black. He was just too, like, the. I think the thing that just made me super uncomfortable and I was like, okay, something is off, was he was just too, like, chill and you know everybody experiences grief differently everybody does but it was just he just looked so guilty his body language I even listened to like um for in preparation of this I listened to like the beginning I couldn't finish it of a podcast episode with Dr. Phil uh talking about this Mm -hmm. and he was saying like from the moment like he stepped out like there was just the different things he was doing like subconsciously and like 
well, everything was subconscious basically, but everything he was doing subconsciously um, was just off. Like nothing he did was just like a normal reaction, even if you're grieving. Well, you know what they say about criminals? The smart ones don't get caught. So this guy's clearly not bright. Um, right. And I hope to keep talking so poorly about him because I think he's gone. <laughs> so he was arrested on August 15th. He had failed a polygraph test um, and he confessed to killing Shanann originally. He was like, okay, I retaliated, but it was because she killed Bella and Celeste. And they were like, no, no, she didn't. Like, it pretty much immediately <laughs> came out. Like, he had to immediately confess because he, again, bright criminals don't get caught. Um, mm-hmm. So then apparently the real story comes out, which was, or, you know, the alleged real story because we don't trust this yahoo. Mm-mm. So apparently allegedly Bella walked in while the murder was happening and her just finished. So he was like, Oh no, mommy is sick, but we need to go. So imagine the trauma that these girls are already facing because they're both put in the back of Chris's truck without car seats and their dead mother wrapped in the sheets from the bed on the ground in front of them. Mm, so their little feet were dangling so maybe hitting her mom. Oh my gosh. It is truly one of the most horrifying and traumatic things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So he ended up taking them obviously to the Anadarko, which is where he worked their field. And he buried us, he dug a shallow grave and buried Chanan there. Um, which was, I don't, in the documentary, it, it shows when they discover her body that the sheet is on like just out in the woods like near the grave so he like took her out of the sheet and I'm like no offense if you wanted to not get caught the way would be to bury her with the sheet right (laughs) and and it shows that there's like no empathy because normally when you kill somebody not like when you kill somebody but like killer yeah (laughs) (laughs) have showed some sort of dignity to their victims and have like covered their face or yes yeah and he was like nope i'm taking it off just gonna bury her like oh okay yeah really callous so then he came back and i want to say that he used either a child's blanket or that same blanket and smothered celeste first um, and so Bella was like, what's going on? And so actually Bella's last words were, daddy, no. Mm. How heartbreaking. And I, I, I hope that lives in his memory for the rest of his life. I hope he has no yeah. other than her last words and seeing the look on Celeste and Bella's face when they realized that they were not going to make it out of that oil field. In the doc- in the docu, I don't remember if it was the documentary or if it was, um, I watched definitely Harlow's, um, some of her videos on it. But in one of the interviews, he said that he just keeps hearing that. And I'm like, good. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you do. Mm-hmm. And like when they talked about it in the documentary specifically, I like teared up. That is just the saddest thing to me. No like your own child. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. So, and, and Chris Watts is what's called like a family annihilator, except. That when you're a family annihilator, normally you commit suicide because there is some, you know, it's it's purely an act of rage. You're, you're just, something's happening and you're like, I have to die so my whole family has to go with me. It's always some like strange mentality of for whatever reason in their brain, everyone has to die, including themselves. So it's normally 
the whole, complete annihilation of family and self. Um, but that's not what happened with Christopher Watts. So he was charged with five counts of first degree murder in Colorado. If you kill a child who is under the age of 12 and you are the killer is in a p- position of trust with that child, that's actually two counts. Um, oh, love that. Uh, it's like Colorado, you're doing something right, but we'll get to where yeah. Colorado is doing something wrong a little later. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, five counts of first degree murder. Um, he got charged with an unlawful termination of pregnancy and then three counts of taking um, the deceased human body. So, he actually got sentenced to five life sentences, um, three consecutive to concurrent. 48 years for the unlawful termination of a pregnancy and 36 years of tampering with the dead bodies. Obviously this was a plea deal. So there was no death penalty on the table, but there is also no possibility of parole. Really quick, Caroline, can you explain um, uh, concurrent life sentences versus um, the other way for people listening? Yeah. So when you have a life sentence, um, that's normally, there's, you can get off on good time if you're given a life sentence with the possibility of parole. But because he doesn't have the possibility of parole, he will never see the light of day. But you judges uh-huh. often give people life sentences to, you know, make sure that they're never going to get out. And it's a little, it's, it's insult to injury. Um, so concurrent versus um, consecutive is a very interesting thing that happens in the criminal justice system and is normally used. Um, for it can be used really in any criminal case, but to run a sentence concurrently means that you're going to be running them at the same time. So if you're charged with, uh, you know, two counts of trafficking drugs, um, you'll serve only one, and the other one will run concurrent. It's nor- that's not normally it's normally another charge. So like trafficking mm-hmm. and then possession, you'll just run the possession one with the um trafficking charge they're not going to add extra time on just insult victory and consecutive would be they're going to go in a row so if you get charged with three counts of you know possession instead of running them concurrently or something they will run them you're going to serve three counts so you're not going to get out in you know the three to five years you're actually going to get out in the 15 to 20 range okay thank you for explaining that yeah so that's Continue. well. That's kind of the story. Um, so homeboy sitting in jail, rotting for the rest of his life. Three hots in a cot, and has to live <laughs> as probably one of the most hated inmates in his correctional facility because you don't kill kids, and it's it's not yeah. a good, not a good look in the criminal justice system. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think this is a good example of justice being served. Um, <laughs> He is in jail for the rest of his life. He will never see the light of day. Um, and I also, just a side note, I love that they included baby Nico in one of the murders um, as one of the counts that he murdered. I love that because um, she was pregnant with him. She, He was a pre-born baby. He hadn't been born yet. Um, so that's just a side note that and I really like. Actually, the day that she got, um, the day that she was murdered, was the day that she was supposed to find out the gender. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, so backtracking a little bit, I wonder what, like, if he's, is it the sociopath who can't feel any emotion? 
I, 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 is it the psychopath? I truly say both of them. <laughs> I don't think okay. one of them has the capacity for empathy or. Okay. Because I'm just thinking he murdered his wife and his kids. And like, he just seems so nonchalant. Like there's people who do, like you said, sometimes they will commit suicide or like, you know, sometimes like they would have like, they would at least be faking like being upset or they would be, um, I, I don't know. I just feel like he just was too cool the entire time. Yeah, have you seen Gone movie. Girl? Sorry, the what? Have you seen the movie Gone Girl? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, like, I know that was based on Scott Peterson, but, like, it kind of reminds me a little bit on, like, of um of Chris Watts, how Ben Affleck was just, like, super chill and, like, didn't really, like, it just, he really, like, just lacked emotion it, and it seems so like out of place. Like that's I think that's the other thing that too that like just con- not concerns. Well, no, concerns me is the right word. Is like everyone who knew him and nobody would have ever thought that this would happen. Like it just came out of nowhere. Right, and he had absolutely no remorse. But here's what I find most interesting: is this man was willing to murder his wife, unborn child, and two young innocent children. Yet he did not want the death penalty. Really? Yes. Now that is interesting. He actually signed the plea deal. And the plea deal was just, he copped to, um, I want to say every count that he was charged with, but then the death penalty was taken off the table. So this coward could impose a life sentence or a really a death sentence on his family, but he himself does not want to die. Oh, that's interesting. What a coward. Yeah. Wow. And you know what, though? A very good point, because sometimes a lot of these people that do a lot of these, like, murderers, they will say, you know what, I'll take the death penalty. But you're right. He did not want that. That is interesting. And that is, like, also, too, I forgot to ask, does he still today say that he didn't murder the kids? Oh, no, never mind, because he said he heard her last thoughts. Um, cause I was, I was wondering if, um, cause I was listening to a documentary, um, and the mom, his mom doesn't think he murdered the kids still. Oh yeah. Of course they're not Which, going to, you know, it's this, this yeah. weird thing of parents not wanting to believe that their kids can do anything wrong which is just the antithesis of how I grew up <laughs> because my mom always <laughs> assumed I was wrong and she made it important that if a teacher were to tell on like oh, Caroline was talking in class today which was a little too common it would, come, it would come down on me and my mom always believed people in authority over me and people who had facts over me because I am just a kid and I am a completely fallible human being so it's just yeah so it's weird that there's this kind of blind acceptance uh, or denial of what Chris Watts did. What were your initial thoughts after like, the documentary or even hearing about it in real time back in 2018? So my initial thoughts, I think initially, like I said, like when I saw the um, video of him talking, leaning against that rail, it is Carolina blue, shirt thing um I was like okay he did it and then when they said oh yeah he definitely did it like my heart really broke because I just more than anything like 
killing his wife is awful, but I just feel like killing the kids was just, I just, I don't understand how I, it's just hard for me to fathom. It's hard for me to fathom murdering anyone anyway. Like I've never been that mad at anybody. I've never like had that emotion come up. Um, but I can't imagine having that emotion for like a child, much less a child that I actually like birth myself. I just think that is just like, it like broke my heart. Like it was just really sad. That was my initial. And then second, I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Like, how do we get this man in jail? Like (laughs) who do we need to sign a petition? Like what's happening? Like what's, what's the next step to get this man off the streets? Because once again, my biggest thing is like, um, he had no remorse and that is concerning to me. If he was like super, like I do, I believe in like grace and redemption. So I do think that, um, so I'm personally against the death penalty. I know there's some people who are pro, but I'm personally against it. And I think that part of the thing is like with grace and redemption, people can change. Now, do they change all the time? No. Do most people change? I honestly don't think most people do, but I do think it is a possibility. So I do think that we should leave that door open personally Mm -hmm. so like you know if he had showed some sort of remorse if he was very apologetic if he just had any emotion at all then I think I would have had like oh man that really sucks for him but like he just he was so chill the entire time I just like we need to get him off the streets because my other thing was like okay he killed his family oh he killed his wife and his kids which is terrible um then I was and most times people stopped there but I just felt he was so unusual like was he going to kill his mom and dad next was he going to this girlfriend was he going to kill her like and I think that is the time where we need life in prison like when someone is not remorseful when someone does not um show like that they're uh, remorseful is showing that they're sorry. And like when someone, when we don't know if someone's going to do it again, like that's my biggest thing. Is he going to do it again? Yeah. So yeah, that was where my like, initial thoughts. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you bring up um, being it's the death penalty. I am as well. And I think as pro-life activists, it's something that a lot of people assume that we're, we're for the death penalty and we're like, Oh, right. no, it's not normal. Cause we are for the, you know, we believe in life from fertilization till a natural death. And so it's, yes, you know, I don't believe Womb the tomb. Yeah, it's it's not. I don't think the government should be killing, you know, people. Just my thing, but um, it, he has no remorse, and and that is truly one of the scariest parts about this is there you there's no remorse on his face and his actions and his words. He says the gross thing to me is that he keeps pictures of his family up in his cell, and I'm like, how dare you? Because you took them away from the rest of the world. That's crazy. I, that is wild. And I feel like that's kind of manipulative. Maybe he is trying to like, he's playing a long game, the long con and like trying to see if like, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I can get out. Oh, he's 100% manipulative. I mean, look at the way, I mean, Shanann in the, in the documentaries and everything we know, Shanann knew for quite some time that he was cheating on her. And she had this like sneaking suspicion and it came out that he was in fact cheating, which I'm sure is what was the revelation that happened on the morning of October. uh, What's it? What day did I say? October 13th or not October. I'm sorry. I think it was August. Yeah. Yeah. 13th. Um, so he is just like oh he's such a creepo 
I can't. Yeah. So do you think that he had been planning the murders or do you think it was just like a spur of a moment? She caught me cheating. Ugh, now I'm annoyed. I think it was a little bit of both. I think he, I think it was definitely a crime of passion, like in the moment, like I'm mm-hmm. going to kill you, but there was definitely a cooling off period. Like when you're arguing with your spouse, you can walk away. Someone probably went to the bathroom. Somebody probably, like that's enough time to cool down and be like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. this person. Um, and it, but it also shows clearly, I don't think the planning or like the killing of the kids was planned. Um, yeah. Because I don't think the murder as a whole was planned, but ultimately, the moment that you drove them somewhere, you had enough time to cool down and it officially yes. became a first degree murder charge. And that's my other thing, too. Like, he drove them out somewhere. That also that shows that he did this intentionally because that whole drive, you could have turned right back around. These are my kids. We'll figure something out. Because I think he. And my mindset is he killed them because they saw something and he didn't want to get in trouble. But he could, like, kids say the darndest thing. So you could have gotten around that. Like, kids make things up. You could say this and that. But he, like, the fact that he just kept going. And then in the documentary, I believe it was the documentary or either Stephanie Hartlow's video, I don't remember. But he said, like, yeah, and I was driving and I just couldn't believe I was doing this. And I'm like... I mean, but you had all that time. Right. Like, you had all this time to, like, not do it. And you still did it. Your own children. Your own children. Right. And it's this thought of, you know, if if he was just, say, choking her um, and she passed away, he did not try to revive her. He did not call 911. Yeah. I'm sorry. I did have a domestic. Took no onus for himself to be like, oh my gosh, I'm in the wrong. This further proving that there might have been a, a little bit of planning that like he didn't feel bad enough about murdering them. That yeah. Murdering Shanann only at the time that instead of being like, oh no, like I've got to, I've got to confess to this. I've got to get her to safety. I've got to see if she can be revived. None of that. He was like, okay, well, you know what? Obviously his brain went to, I guess I've got to kill the kids now. Like that's not a normal human brain. Yeah. There's something wrong. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, also, too, this sometimes, like, I was thinking about the Susan Powell case. Do you know that one? Yes, I do. Yeah. So I was thinking about that, how, um, and we still don't know where her body is, um, how the husband killed her and then he waited. It was like, what, months? Mm -hmm. Was it months or was it years? It was months. Did he ever confess to where she was? No, but remember, he's the one where the kids uh, were dropped off, and then he put the caught the house on fire. I don't. I don't think her body was ever found. No, her body was never found. And I think about that case compared to this case, and I think about. um, And I'm bringing this up because I'm thinking about once again the moms. I think it's very interesting that moms specifically um, make excuses for their sons because Scott Peterson's mom also, no, my son didn't do it. Uh, 
I forgot the Susan Powell's husband, which is good. Um, his mom, no, my son didn't do it. Um, Scott, I mean, Chris, uh, watch mom. No, my son didn't do it. No, my son went. And I just think it's like, I feel like when I look at those, like those three specifically, I remember thinking like the dads aren't saying anything. It's the moms that are like, no, my baby wouldn't do that. Oh, absolutely not. And I just, I find that really interesting. And I mean, you know, the whole saying like, oh, um, mama's boys and you know uh moms love their sons i just that like how do you i would feel awful if my child was a murderer like i would not make excuses i would want my child to get help because clearly there's something wrong with my child but i would not make excuses like i don't understand that concept yeah i think there's a way to parent your child and if something like that were to have ever happened and i don't think Chris's parents ever could have imagined that their son would ever kill somebody. But there is this idea of like, well, the facts are clearly pointing to this person. There is a way to still love your child, but also be like, what you did was very wrong. You do need to be punished. We will be here for you, but you cannot be out in society. Yeah. Like we will all be your son. God, yeah. But you messed up big time. So you need to go find out while sitting in a cell, what in the heck happened, why you could do such a thing, what led you to do such a thing. And honestly, pray to God for forgiveness because you got some work to do. Yeah, for real. Because when you get to heaven, you don't have the answer for that. And yeah, that, I mean, killing. Peter at the gates is not where I would like to ultimately answer for something like that. I'd hopefully like to figure it out on earth before I passed. Right. And uh, God does not like when you mess with children. Let me tell you. (laughs) No, he does not. So one of the things you brought up, um, actually, before we taped this, um, one of the interesting, like, overviews that we got, like, what is, what does this documentary, what does this case teach us about trusting people? So what do you, what do you think? What, what do you get from that? Yeah, I think so already. So we're in 2020. So already, I feel like everybody, especially young adults, young women specifically, we already have a weird thing about trusting people in this age of like online dating, even because also today met on Facebook. They didn't meet in real life effort or like, yeah, they met on Facebook. So I think that's also interesting. Just a side note. Um, but like in this whole day and age and everything, like, we are, uh, everybody's very, everybody kind of already has like a guard up when it comes to trusting people. And what concerns me the most about this case is that he was just so freaking normal. Like nobody thought, and I think, and I was thinking about, I was like, I, there's nobody in my life that I would ever think would actually murder someone. Like that just, like if someone told me like any of my friends, um, murdered someone, I would be shocked. Yeah. And just I, like, no, for anyone listening, if you think somebody that you're close to might murder somebody, maybe try and get them out of your life just as a precaution. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And be careful with it though, because you, you know, you don't want them to retaliate against yeah, you. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I just, and it makes me wonder, like, I don't want to be like one of those people, like that's on edge all the time, but like, I'm also kind of like, should I be like, cause I, I know I have a, I trust people probably more than I should for sure. Especially with this whole like 
meeting people online, like, oh, this person's really nice to me. Let me go ahead and like, sure, here's my address. Let's come meet. You know, like I, I do. I'm not good at that. Um, but it also, like, it does make me really want to um, take a step back and like think about trusting people. But we also can't live in fear. And I think that's just something important to think about. Um, I just, I want, I wish we could find like a nice balance because I do think that especially, um, people, so I'm incredibly extroverted and I love meeting new people. I love social media. So I know that sometimes I'm not doing the right things, but I need to find like a good balance. What were you thinking about when it comes to trusting people? Yeah. So I, it's, it's so funny that you mentioned that they met online. I actually met my husband on a dating app. Um, oh. I'm real cool and not at all antisocial when it comes to the <laughs> in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, but yeah, we that's how we met. And so the first time I ever went to meet him was it had to be a weekend thing because he was in South Carolina and I lived here. So I was fully trusting somebody with my life to protect me. Um, I had been, again, criminal justice major. I mean, I knew his political affiliation back when he lived in Iowa. Like I you know, I don't know how I'm not in the FBI at this point, because I pretty much knew his whole life and had it <laughs> cleared. I had Google mapped his place. I had friends who had my, uh, like my location on their phone. And I'm like, if you don't, even nice. me, you come get me. I trust him fully, but it's, but it's, it's very interesting also as a wife now to think about my husband doing anything like that. My husband would never but it's this idea that I have so much trust in my husband. I trust him with all things, my safety, my finances, my home, my life. And so there's there's an interesting Bible verse that it's 1 Corinthians 13, 7. And it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And that is what marriage is, is we give mm-hmm. ourselves wholeheartedly to somebody else that, you know, we trust them not to go out and cheat on us. That's why we got married was we both said forever to be together forever. And so even when you could see in her text messages that she was doubting and doubting, she still gave benefit of the doubt to her husband. And I don't uh, yeah. fault her for that because that's yeah. what you're supposed to do in marriage. Yeah. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. So it's, it's this idea of, of, listening to your gut that's that was the thing I really got away from this we have natural human instincts when the hair on the back of your neck stands up when you your heart starts racing and your blood starts pumping because you're scared or in a certain situation or even when you freeze because it's flight fight or freeze if you Mm. freeze it is your body telling you uh, like something is happening. So your body has a natural reaction and you've really got to listen to it. You've got to listen to your instincts. Yeah, that's really, and okay. So that makes me think of this too. Uh, it was on Oprah years ago. Yes. I was in elementary school watching Oprah. <laughs> um, and I remember they had this psychologist on and um, she said, that um, instinct you have when you get in the elevator with someone, with a man by yourself and you feel uncomfortable, but you stay in because you don't want to be rude. You don't want to seem, she said, 
if you have an instinct to feel like you should not be on an elevator with somebody, don't get on the elevator with somebody. Mm-hmm. If you feel as if um, you going to this party with X, Y, and Z, if you walk into the party, you feel uncomfortable, walk out. Like these instincts we have, um, a lot of, for those of us that are Christians, it's the Holy Spirit that's like telling us like, hey, let's, you know, like, you shouldn't be here. This is not a good option. This is not a good thing. And um, like you said, I think we should listen to them. These are things that like are instinctually ingrained in us that are is there to help us. Like it's not there to, well, let me say this way. The average person is there to help. I do think some people like have too much of it or like because yeah. of past experiences, they let it control them. But I think for the most part, the average person, we should listen to it. And I'll just, I'll never forget. She said the thing about the elevator. And to this day, like I will wait. I don't know why elevator specifically. I remember that, but like, I will, like, if I'm like, Ugh, I don't really want to be on the elevator with this person. I'll wait. Like, I have no problem. Like, say, don't worry. You got it. The stairs. Like, just be like, at that point, yeah. I'm like, if, if this is the only elevator is my option, I'm taking the stairs because if you're a weirdy, no thanks. Right. Not yeah. I have better things to do. I'll get there faster anyway. Hey, maybe get a workout. But you know what? I'm not going to be <laughs> in a trapped space with somebody who gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that as women, we definitely can't, um, we can't, uh, take the chance. I have a friend who like, well, he's more of an acquaintance, someone I know who is working on improving his look. I'll just say it that way. And he was explaining a situation he was in and how like the girl like didn't give him a chance or something like that. And I was like, in my head, I'm like trying to figure out how to tell him like, you know, I know that you're a nice guy, but your look does not come off that way. And we are women. We cannot take that chance. So you know what? They're going to not be comfortable around you. Like your appearance matters. And I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's a bad thing to say because at the end of the day, as women, we cannot take that chance. Oh, absolutely not. And it's, 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 it is really scary, but there, there is a kind of a silver lining with trust and placing, placing your trust in someone. Um, Psalm 118.8 says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And I think that's very mm, telling that even if, if you notice a red flag of any kind, or if you notice that you can't start trusting somebody, really take that time, pray to God and say, you know what, what are you trying to tell me here? And listen, listen, whether it is through a sign or whether it's through your gut feeling, if something is telling you to leave, leave, it is better to be safe than sorry. Yes, a hundred percent. And I love that. Can you read that verse one more time? So it's Psalm one eighteen eight. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Yes, we really, and I think also too, as women, as Christian women, we really need to make sure and during this day and age, you know, for meeting people online for dates, if you meet people online for friendships, if you are um, just doing out and about, we really need to uh, tune in to God. <laughs> we really need to be, oh, sorry, y'all. <clears throat> okay, it's early in the morning uh, when we're recording this. Um, <laughs> but we really need to be putting our full hearted trust in God and we so we can be hearing him and um, being led by the Holy Spirit in everything we do. We cannot trust man. Humans will fail us. 
that is your parents will fail you your best friend will fail you your husband will fail you your wife will fail you your kids will fail you but god is the only thing that we can rely on he is the only thing that will never fail you he's the only thing you can ever fully put your trust in so i encourage you if you're listening and you're like i don't really god isn't like my thing um i would just I guess just start off reading the Bible. And I think Psalms is a pretty good place to start just to learn a little bit more about God and like his character. Because I'm telling you, like he is the only person who you can completely and fully trust. Yeah. Anywhere in the New Testament as well. I I would honestly tell people to start with the New Testament first and foremost, just because the, the God in the New Testament is the one that we know, this very benevolent God. And um, fair, the, one, fair. the one in the Old Testament can be a little scary. Uh, had to make the rules and lay down the law. So it was a little um, intimidating. I do want to talk about um, something that I've learned from this and like the overall, one of the craziest things I took from the case, and this is where it's going to get a little political is good. Good. I love it. (laughs) um, So he was charged for like what? 48 years for the unlawful termination of a baby. Nico, um, was actually about 15 to 16 weeks old. And it's interesting that he got charged with terminating that um, unwanted pregnancy, or not unwanted pregnancy, I'm sorry, um, terminating the pregnancy because in uh, the state of Colorado, they do not have a limit on when you can get abortions. Really? Okay, yes. that I did not know. So if oh, that's had, interesting. If Nico had been deemed unwanted, which again, I think that is just like one of the worst things you can say about a fetus or a baby, which whatever you want to call it, because I'm down to use the left's term of a fetus because it is a fetus. Let's do it because it's still a human. Yeah. Um, so if, if Shanann had walked into an abortion clinic that day, she would have legally been to, allowed to have murdered that child but that's crazy but because she wanted the baby it is now 48 years in jail in prison wow okay that is interesting so what does that say about Um, the laws in colorado like the humanity of a fetus what does that say about the laws of humanity like so when at what point to colorado does is this baby a human versus what they would deem a clump of cells or an, a, again, I hate using this term, an unwanted child. So because it's, yeah. it's, it's human, it has a right to life. And therefore, if you kill it while it's in the mother's body, um, because you've killed the mother, then you, then you're going to be criminally charged. However, if this woman chooses that, that's, that this kid should die, it's no longer human and it can be killed. So essentially, um, they're saying that someone's humanity is based on whether they're wanted or not. Yeah. All wrapped up in a bow. And that's what these laws are saying. That's crazy. And it makes no sense to me that someone's value, because also it's determining their value. That someone's value is based on their wanting, because when we are, um, out of the womb that's definitely not everybody no this person so it you should love yourself you are so important don't care about what other people how people view you it's just so interesting how it flips all because of in the womb and out of the womb but this is what i always say and i think this is the this is the as uh americans i think this is probably like the biggest reason 
um, to be pro-life. We cannot determine someone's value um, by arbitrary means. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is uh, we need a concrete time that does not change of when life begins. If we can say life begins at conception, Mm -hmm. which through science, we know life begins at conception. If we can say that, then anything after any type of killing or murder after conception is wrong and it is it should be illegal. So if we start deciding, well, let's push the scale 20 weeks. When we know at 20 weeks, a preborn baby can see, hear, and feel pain. If we say, you know what, at 20 weeks, that's that's the line. Or if we go, actually, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe like uh, 35 weeks, 35 weeks, that's the line. What is to stop them from saying, uh, I birthed this baby and like, I really want my baby to have like blonde hair and it doesn't, you know what, let's, uh, let's move on. I just, it concerns me when we start moving, when we start defining ourselves. Like that is the biggest problem I personally think with like, um, and I know you know, separation of church and state or whatever, we should get into that another time, but that's my biggest problem with like atheism and things like that. Like, there is no concrete something that will not change to determine morals and values. And we humans, we are so fallible. Like we are awful. Like, you know, God loves us and all, but like we're awful. So like, how can we determine these things? How can we um, make these decisions? So I think that with Colorado say, saying that like, yeah, you can have abortion all the way up to nine months, but this human, because they have perceived value that human, this baby is um, allowed to be, uh, he can be charged for this baby. Like that's preposterous. Like that is, that's crazy crazy to me that his Nico's life was seen as a life. And as it should be, I'm very happy that he got charged with this and sentenced to this because it put a value on embryonic life. It gave a value to a child in the womb. And I mean, I don't really think that um, 48 years is really enough time. I don't think that's the value of Nico's life. I think a life sentence would have been more um, accurate for taking a Mm -hmm. life. But it it is interesting that the humanity of the child is solely based on whether or not the child is wanted or not, even though humanity itself, it's like saying, especially in Colorado, that you know, the moments before you're giving birth, it is still in the canal. It, it's not your baby until it starts breathing air. Like that is their idea that your birth canal is what changes this child in the womb to an actual human and gives it personhood. Even though, you know, if the baby had come early, it would that it's only a baby through this magical vessel that we have. It's not a baby in the womb. Like there, I just that's don't crazy the logic. Yeah. I don't understand it either. Yeah. I don't get it. And the whole, um, well, it's a fetus thing. Like, well, okay. But the fetus is a human fetus. Like you don't say that about an elephant, a pregnant elephant. The elephant's pregnant with a fetus. Okay. The elephant has an elephant inside of it. Like that's just, I feel like that whole argument is crazy to me too. Well, yeah. And if, I mean, you can talk to anyone who, and God bless them, has had a miscarriage. If you miscarry oh, yeah. eight weeks, you're not crying because 
oh no, this potential life was killed. No, you're crying because your child died and has passed. And to normally no fault of the mother's own, a miscarriage, it is just an unfortunate happenstance. The body recognized something was wrong. There was an abnormality either in the lining or within the baby itself. And so the body rejects it and is, you know, honestly, in a way, kind of trying to protect it. But it's still heartbreaking. A mother is grieving mm-hmm. the loss of a child because that is what it is. Once once you're pregnant and you have a child, you you do recognize that, oh, that's my child. doesn't matter what stage. I mean, you could have a, a miscarriage in the first four weeks and it's still a loss. Yeah, yeah. Depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I know people who've had miscarriages very early on and they still, you know, they still have some sort of representation from the baby or like it still affects them a lot because we recognize that it is a human being. And I think that a lot of times people, uh, after this, we do have to wrap up. We are going kind of long, but this has been a great episode. Um, But I think um, people realize that um, it is a human being, so that's why they try to desensitize themselves from it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys are following me on Instagram, you know that I'm here in DC for the um, until the election, part of the, the SCOTA squad, and we're re- I'm with Students for Life, and like we're really here, um, you know, working and talking about um, abortion and things like that. And I've had a few people talk to me and they try really hard not to recognize that it's a human being because if they recognize that, or to, I'm sorry, to verbalize that it's a human being, because I do think they recognize it. But the thing is, if you do not, um, recognize it as a human being, it makes it a lot less, uh, desensitizing. Like you're desensitized from it. You don't, it doesn't hurt as much. Like if it's just a clump of cells, oh yeah, of course. Like why not kill a clump of cells? We blow into tissue. I don't know. Is that a clump of cells? Yeah. I don't know science that way. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> we, throw, we throw tissue paper away. Like why not? So, um, I think that's a lot of what people try to do. They just try to, they know the truth. They try to desensitize it because I'm telling you these people that, um, are so, because I do think there's two different types of people in this, um, I think there's people who genuinely don't know what an abortion is, who are very, who, um, are just very like, uneducated on the topic and then there's people who know and like are going out like fighting for it and like we need this right this is that and i think those people that are trying so hard to get abortion laws passed um i think it was like at a rally i went to or like um the people that came and like interrupted our rally they it was someone they had a sign that said like abortion on the on demand with no apology like what like those type of people i'm talking i feel like they know i think they do know i think they are educated and they just don't um want to recognize the humanity because it hurts too much yeah, wow, this this episode has totally come full circle. This is leading into so many other discussions. You and I could sit here all day. Yeah. I would be very interested if people would like to reach out to us and talk to us about what they think about these laws. That would be really awesome because I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, for sure. You guys leave comments. Um, also, subscribe, rate, review. Let us know. You can email or DM or anything like that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns on any of these laws, on the story, if you, oh, I wish we, well, we can do maybe another episode, but I, um, on this, I wish we had talked a little bit more about the, um, the mistress because I saw a document, uh, like a YouTube video and I didn't get a chance to finish it, but it was like talked about how they didn't talk a lot enough about her and then, 
Netflix documentary, she actually had a, a larger role than they tried to make her seem like she had. So yeah, if you have any comments on that, please leave it in the comment section. <clears throat> Sorry, once again, y'all, leave it in the comment section, email, DM me or whatever. And thank you so much, Caroline, for coming on. I really appreciate this. And like, oh, you had such good insight. Um, but yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and you will hear me and possibly Caroline again later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Those Other Girls with Mallory and Bailey. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Head over to our website, thoseothergirls.com, to read our blogs and receive exclusive content. And connect with us on Instagram, at thoseothergirlspodcast, and on Twitter, at TOG underscore podcast. Those are the girls, changing culture and bringing back traditional values.